Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here along with Mike McKenna, as always, this week's edition of the Suitcase and the Scribe. Do you like my background? I'm in I'm in a hotel in Raleigh and spending some time here in Raleigh doing some bunch of different stuff. And uh, I, I, Mike, I I I do not understand. This is how old I am. I why <laughs> why do hotel rooms they don't have any chairs anymore? There's no desk. There's no chair. So basically I'm like doing a Sultan thing. <laughs> well, where are you staying? Like, I don't know, man. Marriott, man. Most, I'm, you know. most of them I stay at now still have a desk. You must be at a different echelon than me, Scott. I don't know, man. Big money over there. Usually I've got a desk and a chair. <laughs> I've stayed at the hotels that can't afford desks and chairs apparently, but no, it's all good. <laughs> and you know, Mike, I'm so excited. There's so much stuff to talk about this week. I'm, I'm excited. Lots of newsy stuff happening. And I'm so excited. Ian Cole, two-time Stanley Cup champ and guy you know from his mm-hmm. time in St. Louis and uh, just an all-around great guy having a great season here in Carolina. Ian's going to join us uh, momentarily and it's good that he's a little bit late because I wasn't sure how to, you know, I didn't know how to bring him into the conversation because I wanted to ask you what do you think of the Kodak Black performance? So I just oh. thought that would be a good place to start and well, maybe Ian will be happy not to be part of this. So um, It was... Uh... Well, it was surprising. I would say it was daring. Um, he must have a new album dropping really soon. I don't know the output of Kodak Black. That's not really in my genre. Uh, it's not up my alley. You know, I'm a, I'm a through and through metalhead. Yes, but I, um, I tell you what, that was on full display for the entire arena to see down there in Florida. And I mean, it, I think it was next door to the Florida management box, which was even more unbelievable. So I, I don't know. I mean, is that a, uh, is that a punishable offense by law? What was going on? Or was that know. just a chalk it up to the moment type of thing? I don't, I've seen a number of people suggest that the department of player safety, I don't know, George Farrell's making a call. I don't know. I, I, I do not know. Um, and it was interesting. I did ask my son about it, but I initially asked him about Dakota black. And he was like, I don't know who you're talking about. It's like, Oh, you mean Kodak black. So, um, it's a little bit, never seen my... anything like it, Scotty. Never. Yeah, no. Well, see here. And I don't mean to belabor the point, but I thought it's actually kind of weird. Uh, I used to work at the Toronto sun and, uh, good friends with a the photographer. there, one of the great photogs, uh, in any part of the journalism business guy named Greg Rieke one day famously snapped, uh, pictures 
at the Sky Dome, which have there's a hotel there and all the windows look out onto the Sky Dome. And during a Jays game, I, I want to say it's a playoff game, but I could be wrong. There were there were people having a similar experience <laughs> at the Jays game. And he snapped these pictures. It, they became world famous. I, he told me that publications all over the world were looking for those images. And not to belabor this point, who would knew these things would happen? One of the first playoff series I ever covered, I think this is right, 1997 in Detroit at Joe Louis Arena, first round series against the Anaheim Ducks. Game goes to, must have been game one or two, triple overtime. Fans have been there a long time. Right below the press box, a couple also engaging in an act that you wouldn't normally see at an arena. And security came and and while they were trying to make them leave Joe Lewis Arena, all the fans in the whole section began chanting, let them stay, let them stay. So I Okay, so here's the difference in our in our careers. You've seen this. You have two previous incidents to talk about with a reference I, I do. to this. The only thing that the only thing I can think of is summer concerts in Europe. I've heard of this happening before, like on stage. Oh. And that's about the only thing I've thought. But like the, the funniest part of it is that. Like they're celebrating Kodak Black being in the building. Like he's he's on memes and tweets and like, what's up, dude? Kodak's in the place. And like all of a sudden, no, 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 Kodak. No. Like, I, and people just can't differentiate when windows are tinted and non-tinted. That's what it comes down to. You should not assume that windows are ever tinted, Scott. I don't know. To me, it's got to go a little deeper than that, but maybe you're right. They're not, maybe I, it's an all-timer, me. man. It's an all-timer. Like the only way it could have been better is if like he'd been left tickets by somebody, you know, and you found out that it was somebody's, you know, a player said, Hey, Kodak, come to the game. And oh my and gosh. I don't think that was the case on this one, but yeah. Oh boy. What what an intro to this week. What an intro. I mean, I, see, <laughs> I was thinking as we, you know, as the day was going along and I knew the heat was coming along, I was like, I don't know if, how I'm going to you yeah. know, sort of wedge that in, but here, here's here's a good place maybe we can start um, because we can ask Ian when he joins us. But um, one of the things that happened this morning, what happened a couple of days ago, but um, certainly uh, got a chance to see uh, in person as uh, um, young goaltender Jack Lafontaine, who a few days ago was. I assume, you know, worrying about his dorm and exams and assignments and, you know, college hockey yeah. um, is now a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. He's technically on the taxi squad now, and uh, they're waiting to hit getting his work visa squared around. Um, and Rob Brindamore said this morning, you know, when, and once that gets done, then, you know, then we'll make a plan. And the, the Hurricanes are... You know, they're, they've got a bunch of goalies who are hurt or in COVID and Auntie Ranta's is not able to go mm-hmm. and it's a lot of fluid issues. But talk about a, a dramatic transition. I wonder, you know, what you what you make of it. He, I, I was so impressed with him, though, so poised and just very mature about answering questions really in his first live press conference uh, um, as, an, as a true NHLer, I suppose. So I wonder what you made of that. Well, this is just the absolute perfect storm of weirdness in the last two years. Okay. And not to take anything away from Jack LaFontaine, who last year was, uh, you know, top goaltender in NCAA hockey, University of Minnesota, very good goaltender by all means. Um, 
but he was drafted six years ago by Carolina, <laughs> you know, and he goes to Michigan for two years, does go great, goes back to juniors in the BCHL, comes out, goes to Minnesota. Well, he's in his fifth year. He's in his graduate year. And this is the byproduct of COVID that players got an extra year of eligibility and kind of got a do-over out of this in some ways. And so I look at it somewhat objectively thinking like, well, Carolina didn't sign him after his senior year when they could have, you know? So like, again, not taking anything away here, it just was an odd scenario. And you get to the point where Carolina needs goalies. Like they needed a warm body. They needed a goaltender. It's like, well, we've got this guy as a draft pick. We can sign him to a one-year deal. And I mean, he's midway through his graduate year. Okay. And it's not, it's not like it's been a great year there. It's been an okay year. And you get a, you get an offer to go at minimum, sit on a taxi squad for an NHL team. Yep. Sign with them, get a chance. Like in all reality, he's probably going to get to play in the NHL this year. I would probably bet that. Yeah. And that's, that's so powerful. Like, I, I don't know his full personal details. I'm assuming he's got his degree after four and a half years of school. I'd hope so. Uh, <laughs> you know I, what I mean? I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> if not, he's damn close or right. he's close to a master's either way. Uh, so the, the schooling aspect is kind of secondary. It's like this chance is just too good to pass up. I've got to go, go for it. And at 24 years old, you're getting a pretty mature goaltender. Who's he's handled a lot of scenarios. I mean, and resilient by all means to leave a a big school like Michigan and take a drastic step back to the BCHL while being a draft pick and then end up in Minnesota and play. Like it's impressive. And I, I'm I'm just fascinated to see how this plays out because it, the human interest element of it is is really high, Scott. Like <laughs> this is kind of unprecedented. Do you think because I think Correct me if you think I'm wrong, but it strikes me that we we may see more of these types of stories when it comes to goaltenders, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of the zigzag. I mean, you know, Tim Thomas is maybe, you know, one of the great, great examples of that going different places, playing at different levels, yeah. taking, you know, not arriving on that straight line. I don't know whether it's so I'll ask it that way. Do you think there are more of those kinds of stories? Because I agree with you. Jack LaFontaine's story is a it's a, it's, it's, it is a bit different and maybe mm-hmm. it wouldn't happen if you're a, a D man or a center that it's right. less likely to happen that way. Fair well, or not? It, oh yeah. It's a byproduct of COVID and, and how goofy things are, but it, it just shows that, you know, goaltending is at a premium. You can only have so many. And if you're running out of options, right. You got to get creative. You know, John Gillies ended up in the NHL this year and he didn't, couldn't get an NHL contract last summer, you know? And uh, what else? Like the trickle down effect, even to this Scott, like, there's a goaltender playing for the Chicago Wolves now named Danny Manella. Okay. Danny Manella went to St. Lawrence university. Um, he's become a friend. I was rooting for him, trying to do everything we could to get him a place in the ECHL. He finally finds one in Tulsa after an entire year off of hockey. Wow. Because of how last year was, he couldn't get a job anywhere. Well, he goes to Tulsa plays well and he gets called up. Now he's played in the American hockey league after a full year off. You know, he's won a game and it's that trickle down effect. Like yeah. Carolina didn't have goalies. The American League team needs goalies. So who do we get? We're going to go to the coast and find somebody. Well, Danny Manella. And I think that the, the window of opportunity now for goaltenders is wider open than it has ever been, yeah. ever. You know, yeah. like uh, another good example of that would be Logan Thompson, who's playing in Vegas currently um, alongside Robin Leonard. Now that Laurent Brossois is out, that Logan Thompson was a major junior goalie undrafted, played Canadian college a bit. It was too good for that. So he went to the ECHL. He was too good for that. Went to the American League, goalie of the year in the American League, and now he's in the NHL. And it's like, how did people miss on this guy? 
But I don't think without the opportunity of a COVID world, he may not have had that, right? So I, I do think that you're seeing and will see more goalies in the future that had been written off get another chance. I think that window of opportunity is much larger, uh, especially for goalies, and and maybe not in a lasting starting number one sure. uh, effect, but at least like guys like could have careers like me, like American League goalies that get called up here and there. Like yeah. that's who's really going to get opportunity here. Yeah. Now maybe it's a mugs game, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you do you feel like if if you are you did you miss this window by? like two or three years, five years, like this oh, could have been listen. you, right? Yeah, well, it would have, but honestly, I wouldn't want to deal with all this right now. I think at the stage of my life with my family and kids and the protocols and everything, I'm, I've joked around about this before with friend, old teammates and friends that retired recently. And we all went, man, like <laughs> we dodged a bullet here, man. Like, cause it's, it's just the last couple of years haven't been, they haven't been the same, you know, for a lot of the players and then, um, all the uncertainty with it. Um, would I, would I like to have a little bit thicker wallet and pocketbook? Yeah, I'd really like that. Uh, the money would be good, but that's, that's not everything once you get to a certain point. So, yeah. um, but we're seeing that around the NHL right now as well. I mean, we're talking about money. We're talking about opportunity and uh, hot ticket of the day here, Scott happens to be player who doesn't have a contract anymore because it was terminated by the San Jose Sharks and he's been in the American league and his name's Vander Kane. Yeah. And, you know, all these reports are flying around as we talk now on, on Wednesday that there's teams in the race that want to sign them and they've got to check it off with players in the locker room. And I, I think my question here is, Scott, do you think it's the right thing that Evander Kane should get a contract immediately after his other one being terminated and everything else that has plagued him for the last however long, I mean, how many things you know we almost for, you can make a checklist and forget a lot of the things that he's done wrong because there's been so many of them yeah and well and i think you you know i've seen some of the reports on on social media and i can only assume this is true but it, it part of the if i understand it correctly and i know frank uh Cervalli was uh, our our master here our boss uh <laughs> we had written about it earlier and uh you know that there were 16 teams or so had reached out on some level about, you know, what, what might be involved, what is the dollar, all those kinds of things. But to me, the, the underlying part of this is part of the, the reason that San Jose believes they have a case to, uh, to void that contract is that Evander Kane was in violation of COVID protocols. Um, apparently, you know, going to Vancouver while he had either tested positive or was still in, should still have been in quarantine whatever the, the the exact nuances of it are. But if he was in violation of protocols, would that not also follow on an earlier suspension for violation of COVID protocols? And would the NHL not have the the leeway? And, and Commissioner Gary Bettman has a ton of leeway when it comes to supplemental discipline, to, to discipline players or coaches or GMs or anyone connected to the game, really, uh, for for misbehaving. And I would think if this is true and if it's the rationalization for voiding the contract, I can't imagine how he's, he would be allowed to step back into an NHL lineup and whether it's in Edmonton or Vancouver or anywhere else, if I'm the NHL, I'm saying, well, hang on a second. 
Right. I mean, that, that contract's void, but it's void because you have once again broken the rules. And now you're going to have to reapply for reinstatement. That would be if I'm the commissioner, which I yeah, pretend to I be. just I look at this in a way like I'm going to give it a comparable to a different sport in that, you know, Kyle Larson of NASCAR champion in that champion of NASCAR. I mean, two years ago, he uses a racial slur on um, an racing game and everybody in the world hears it. And he got canceled. And I mean, we're talking, had to go to sensitivity training, had to go on the big apology tour. He had to really learn, have a lot of serious conversations and talk to people to fix things for using one word. And he was gone out of, you know, racing for better part of almost a year and he still couldn't get sponsors, you know, and he's slowly creeping his way back into respectability. And it's like all these things with Kane, I understand like, like he hasn't been put in jail for any of this stuff. Right. But I mean, like right. these aren't minor offenses. Like these are violations of the NHL rules and, yeah. you know, fake pat, fake vaccination card, like all these just frankly dumb things. Like, is that just suddenly wiped away because the contract was terminated? I would say, I, no. I don't see that. And like, I mean, I hear Ken Holland say, I believe in second chances. And I'm like, okay, no, uh, to me, I hear you saying, I believe it winning in all costs because yeah. our team's floundering and we need scoring. And I don't care what this guy's done. Yeah. That's what I hear. That, that's what I hear. Well, you want to distill I, it. You're like, <laughs> I, I'm curious because you, you understand the dynamic of, uh, of the locker room. And, and I, I don't want to say it's a delicate thing necessarily, but I think, you know, especially for, for championship teams, I mean, it'd be great when uh, <clears throat> Ian Cole knows as well as anyone what mm-hmm. it, what a championship room is like. What do you think it's like in, and I know there have been reports that Connor McDavid may have reached out to Evander Kane, but what do you think it's like in that Edmonton room, for instance, or in another room where maybe it's made clear that the team is thinking about having Evander Kane there? What do you think that discussion is like with the players in that room? Because I, I'm fascinated I just, I wonder what that would be like. Well, every team so far has thought, okay, we can get them in here and fix them and it's going to be good to go. Like San Jose, great, you know, Thornton, Marlowe, we all reached out, happy place, blah, blah, blah. Well, how long did that last? Right. Like it's, it's been everywhere. You know, how many chances do you need? That's where I'm approaching it from. And I think a lot of locker rooms have a ton of hubris and thinking we'll be good. You know, yeah. it's only maybe, and worst case, it's just a couple of months. What if, well, if he only screwed, if he screws up, then he'll be, he'll be gone. Well, I'm not sure it's that simple, man. Like this guy is a really, really good hockey player. And if a GM signs him, they're going to want him in the lineup. Okay. Like he's not going to just get like one chance that he's done. Like this is, this is a festering wound. Like, And I think everybody in hockey, not everyone, but there's like, if he signs with somebody, it's going to be the thought process in the locker room is going to be, here we go again. That's what it's going to be, man. That's the yeah. perception is like, Oh, can't wait to see how that plays out. That's what every player's thinking. Yeah. And if you're actually in the room with that, that's disconcerting, man. Like, and, and I'm, I, I don't know, Kane, I've never met him. I've played against him, but I, I don't, dude, you better walk in and shake everybody's hand and, and not say a word, right. And go right to your hotel room and do everything the right way. Cause you have no leeway. Um, but like, to his credit, he went to the American League, put up eight points in six games. He played hard. Like he didn't go and quit. He played hard. But yeah, I, I, I just I, this sends I, the wrong. It sends the wrong message for him to get a contract right away. Period. Yeah. That's what I think. My hope, my friend Kevin Kurz, who covered the Sharks for the Athletic, now he's he's covering the Islanders. But I did see him write that he did miss a couple of practices. May or may not have. I think 
some sort of mystery ailment and food poisoning. And, you know, so I, I so he showed I up know. for games. Yeah. He showed up for games. Basically. He's like a beer league. Like I, I would hate to practice. I would go to a beer league game, but here's the, here's the thing that strikes. And, and I'm, I wonder what you think of this is because we, yeah, I know people already trotted out the, you know, the old clip from Ken Holland about changing the culture and, character and leadership and wanting to play for the crest and, you know, like stuff that great. I would write, if I'm writing the story, I'm using all those quotes, every single one of them. And here we are. How does that jibe? If you, if you bring Evander, it doesn't, right? I mean, it doesn't at all. That's what I mean by it's the wrong message. Like it's just, when it all it's trying to save your bacon man like your team's floundering and you need scoring and here's a guy you can get for cheap that's all it comes down to it doesn't come down to anything else (laughs) we can sugarcoat this stuff all you want that's what it is like i i I don't see any use talking around it (laughs) yeah no it's totally true i uh yeah it will be fascinating to see how it how it plays out in in the next day or two but at least there's um, some happier stuff going on in the league (laughs) i mean like Vegas has got Jack Eichel skating, Scott. That was That's so exciting. So great. And I, you know what? I, 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 I'm, I'm really excited for him to get back on the ice and I'm Thank excited you. to see, you know, how Pete DeBoer manages that lineup and, you know, all, I'm excited, but you know, I'm really, I'm happy for Jack Eichel. Listen, the games, man, we, we get so many players on any given night that I can't play <clears throat> that one of the great it's, let's not overstate. He's a he's a he's an exceptional talent yep. who's had a you know it hasn't been a straight line for him since he came to into the league and behind Connor McDavid and draft going to Buffalo never played in the playoff game. Well, you know what? If assuming good health and the surgery looks like it's done the job, the disc replacement surgery, he's going to play playoff games this spring and summer and it'd be a pretty cool story if he goes to a Stanley Cup final or whatever. Yeah, well, and he's going to do it for a team that can win. I mean, Vegas is good. They took Toronto. They were better than Toronto last night. For a lot of the NBA, Toronto looks sluggish. Um, you know, kind of a weird game when you look at the goals and how they went in. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, Campbell probably just edged Leonard a little bit, and that's how they ended up winning. But um, Eichel makes that team more dynamic in Vegas. It makes any team more dynamic in Vegas. Yeah. And they've been missing somebody who can grab that game by the throat and skate with the game at forward. Yeah. You know, like Mark Stone can take over a game, but he can't skate with the game. And that's what Eichel can do. And I look to their power play and obviously that's where they need some juice. Um, But we all keep talking about when they're back at full strength, when they're back and when everybody's back. And I think this is a fallacy across the league that we're all thinking of at this point. You know, when a team's healthy, no one's healthy. No one's gonna be healthy for the next month and a half until Omicron blows through everything, two months, you know, until basically everybody's gotten it and then, we're to the point where no one's testing for the next 80 days, which with Omicron, we found out that's actually kind of surprising because people are still getting it again and again, but um, we're going to be at that point where, yeah, man, Vegas with Eichel. And and I think it takes his, I think it takes pressure off him. I think this is a low pressure situation compared to what he's been dealing with previously in Buffalo. I mean, he's not the big dog there. Yeah. He was the flashy acquisition, but man, they got surrounding people like, Stolen Pacioretty, Petrangelo. I mean, Theodore, like, I mean, Shea yeah. Theodore is almost forgotten out of that mix and he's like top five in D points, right? Top yeah. 10, top, you know? So 
There's plenty of people in Vegas to surround Eichel to make that transition go. Um, and I'm just, I'm excited to see it. And like you say, Scott, excited for him. Like he's got to be so pumped, dude. Like yeah. I would be hundred percent. Good stuff. All right. Speaking of pumped as promised, let's bring in Ian Cole of the Carolina hurricanes. Uh, now, Ian, I, I know that you you were telling us uh, just off camera, off recording, that uh, you were a little bit delayed, got an internal NFL playoff thing going on. That's good. And I lament the fact that you were not here off the top because you missed our discussion about Kodak Black. So if you have any thoughts on that, just jump in. Uh, um, big fan of Kodak Black. Just a heck of an artist. Um uh, I think the tweets responding to the video, uh, were the best part. I saw the uh, player safety one. And that was pretty funny. Uh, I saw business. That was pretty funny. So there were some, there were some great responses to it. <laughs> Picking up a contact lens. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Good stuff. Um, Ian, the other thing we talked about just before you came on and, and I was curious what you made of it. Uh, I was, um, at wake, competition center today and uh, watching Jack LaFontaine come out and talk to the media in person for the first time since arriving and what a whirlwind trip for him. And, and as a college guy, I, I, I did my research, 69 points in 111 games for you at Notre Dame. That's nothing to sneeze at. Um, but I wonder what you think of a young man coming, you know, what's happened to Jack LaFontaine and, and, and what's it like to have a player like that sort of parachute into you know, the top team in the NHL by point percentage uh, as the Hurricanes are right now. What's what's that dynamic like? And what do you think? Yeah. You know, actually, when I was uh, earlier today, I saw a, um, I guess, a clip of uh, my old coach at Notre Dame, Jeff Jackson, talking about this. And uh, it was interesting. I mean, I think that it's a very unique situation as far as um, – COVID injuries, taxi squads, um, and the fact that the player himself, I mean, he's a fifth year eligibility guy. He's probably already graduated. Uh, so um, as, for us as a team, having the highest point percentage in the league, it's really trying to make a run at the Stanley Cup here uh, with goalies injured, with COVID, with all these things. You know, I think it's a bit of a perfect storm. You know, he was a little worried about this being a continued trend when I think in reality, we're, you know, in the middle of a very unique situation. And I don't think that signing guys mid season is going to be the norm going forward. Right. That being said, uh, you know, we're happy we have them. The more assets we have to make the Stanley cup run, the better. Uh, unfortunately there may be some, uh, collateral damage, uh, to do that, um, to get those assets, you know, but I think that, uh, you know, as a team who's trying to make a long run, you know, I would say in the middle of June with all these games that are postponed, we don't know when the percentage of playoffs are going to go to uh, more assets is always better than less assets. So uh, we're happy to have him. Uh, he was, uh, he was ready to go today. He was bouncing off the walls. He was <laughs> diving post to post out there looking like a young Mike McKenna. Good. And, uh, and uh, you know, he's a good goal. We're happy to have him. So I'll tell you what, man, it's uh, the little background of that. The people that don't know is that obviously we played together at the Peoria Riverman 2012, 13. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that later when you get a chance, but um, you know, ever since then, 
that, that was kind of the springboard for your career. Obviously, with the Blues, you go to the Penguins, win two Stanley Cups, not bad. Uh, and then, you know, you've, you've had options in your career later on. Like you signed with Colorado and then you get traded. And then this year you come up to free agency again. And I'm curious your process in deciding where to go. Like you've been in enough locker rooms now, you've won cups. How do you find that balance between where you'd like to play, what the money is, the family situation, like all of those types of things. And why did that factor into Carolina being the solution? That's a great question. Um, You know, for me, it's, you know, to go back to the beginning of your question, right? So St. Louis was, you know, Ken Hitchcock was a head coach there, very veteran centric, a uh, tough time for me getting kind of getting traction there for an extended period of time. Um, it was one of those situations where, you know, as a defenseman, the first mistake that I would make, I'd be out of the lineup for three or four games, which is never a great way to develop as a young player. Right. Um, so going to Pittsburgh was probably the best thing that could happen for me getting, getting away from Hitch, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> you got to uh, find value in the corner there, Colsey. Yeah, yeah, yeah that and, telling me to play like a man out there, which is kind of funny. Um, so, um, you know, that was, that was huge for me to, to, to kind of get out from under that, uh, and actually get some consistent ice time. And, and I think it, it was very beneficial, um, to go to answer the second part of that. I think that as I, after you win your thought process, thought process could kind of take, can go in one of two directions. I think it can go to the, like, all right, I won. I'm content. I'm, this is good. I won my one Stanley cup. I'm good. And then I think you can go the other direction where it's like, that was awesome. Winning is so much better than losing. I want to win every single year now. Right. That you just kind of become like addicted to winning. Right. In that sense where I think that there are a lot of teams that can really kind of get stuck on losing. You know, you look at some of the teams that have just constantly losing every year. And I think psychologically you can go in that direction. Uh, the flip side of that same coin into the, same kind of, of winning there. Right. So for me, it's like, I always want to go to a good team. I always want to win. Uh, that's kind of the, uh, the forefront of my mind. I mean, yes, money plays a factor. Yes. Uh, you know, you want to maximize your earning potential. Yes. You want to, um, you know, be in a nice city. You want to be in somewhere that's, you know, I don't know, maybe warmer than Winnipeg. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you want to play on a good team first and foremost. Uh, and that was kind of what the thought process was going to Carolina, uh, also was thought process going to Colorado, uh, and ended up, you know, getting traded to Minnesota, which was another great experience. So mm-hmm. it's worked out well for me. But I, and I, 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 maybe you don't know until, you know, I remember having a conversation a long time ago with, with, uh, Brett Haddikin and, and, uh, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my mind here. Matt Cullen. Sorry. And uh, I was going to say Christy Yamaguchi. No, well, <laughs> yeah. I, and I did, Would have made I did, sense. I did. It's a round I, table. I did Brad Hedekin stay with the cop after 06. So anyway, I, but I remember having a conversation sort of along these lines about how do you, how do you know, how do you know when it's right? And I, Matt, Matt Cullen apparently called Brad Hedekin. He says, you need to, you need to come here, come to Carolina because it, it's something's happening here. It's it's, I feel it. It's, it's there. And obviously they were right. They won the Stanley cup in 06. Um, you know, Matt Cullen went on to win other cups so do you can you know can you know now that okay yeah i there is something here in carolina or you know you're not even at the halfway point but so let me distill it 
what have you learned, do you think, since you came to Carolina that may is maybe is reinforced that this was the right place for you? Yeah. Um, well, I think I, I definitely think it I think it was. I think it was the right decision for sure, uh, especially in a very weird free agency market with no cap space for basically every team in the league. And uh, so I think there were very extenuated circumstances on that end from the financial aspect of it. Um, that being said, I think that this particular team in this situation, um, I really do think it was the right, the, the, the right call. Um, I mean, you start from the top in Rod Brendamore, um, which, I mean, you couldn't find a better coach to play for someone that truly cares, not just about winning, which he does, but like truly cares about every guy in the locker room. Like you can go to him with anything. You can talk to him about stuff. You can, you know, you can say, Hey, I saw this thing differently. And he'll actually talk it through with you. Um, you know, he's not a totalitarian. Um, he's very much open book. Um, and, uh, just a fantastic person to be around high energy, high excitement, um, very intense, but, but in a good way demands a lot, but in a fair way, um, which I think is kind of like the perfect storm for a coach, um, you know, as a, as a bit of a fellow suitcase to, to Mike, you know, I've, I've had a lot of coaches and, um, you know, it's tough. It's, it's a tough balance. It's a tough mix to kind of get right. Right. It's a tough recipe to, to get the proportions right, if you will, but he's, uh, he does it very, very well. And then going through the personnel in our room, I mean, just a lot of guys that are on great contracts, which is the only really, you know, you have to be able to do that. You have to have underpaid guys because with the cap, especially not moving the past couple of years and potentially not moving for the next couple of years, it's tough to get players. It's tough to get players. There's, there's a good mix of young guys that come up that have been really good for us. So, I mean, kind of all these things, again, kind of, uh, kind of meld into that perfect storm of, of, uh, of a very successful team with good veteran presence, but not too old with young guys that are contributing, um, kind of checking all those boxes. And, um, you know, we had a great mindset. We're very businesslike and, and our goal is to win the Stanley cup. It's not to make the playoffs. It's not to, you know, have a good showing in the playoffs, not to like, Oh, we'll see how things go. It's to win the Stanley cup. That's it. So, uh, I think that uh, singular mindset will, will benefit us in the long run. I look around the league and how much it's the defensive defensive landscape has changed. Now everybody's got mobile defensemen that can skate the puck. They can lug it. They can shoot. They can drive offense. And like, you know, when we were playing together, you were obviously, you were good at moving the puck. You could move your feet. You had good vision, but I'm, and I'm curious nowadays, 10 years into your career, how, you know, what you've had to do to adapt to the speed of the game. Now, how, how teams move the puck laterally and go through the neutral zone. Like, I'm guessing it's presented different challenges and I'm wondering how, you know, as you've moved along in your career, you've been able to to continue to improve and find ways to, to keep your game strong in the national hockey league. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely changed a bit. I mean, you know, like, like Scott said, like I was on the first power play in college, you know, I was mm-hmm. trying to skate the puck out of my zone every time I touched it on the breakouts, um, you know, coming in the league, I was thought, you know, I was a two-way guy, definitely offensive, you know, and I was always a good skater. Um, you know, that being said, now Kale McCarr's in the league and he can just basically skate, do whatever he wants, which is like <laughs> yeah. a totally otherworldly than, than a guy like myself. Um, but I think, to be honest with you, I think in today's NHL, you need to have guys that can do everything, right? Like, I don't think you can be a single, like, oh, I'm just an offensive guy or I'm just a defensive guy. Like, you need to be Defensive, we also be able to make plays. You need to be offensive, but you can't be a liability defensively because, well, 
you're going to get scored on. Right. So I think you need to be able to be, I think defensemen in the league now need to be able to do everything. And obviously some guys are better at doing everything than others, but you know, there's very few guys, very few defensemen in the NHL that like can't make a play with the puck at this point. Yeah. When, and when I started, there were probably two or three on every team that like couldn't make a play with the puck. Right. Yeah. So uh, things have really changed. And I think that goes for forwards too. I mean, fourth liners used to be very, underskilled compared to like first liners. <laughs> and now you have guys on the fourth line with, you know, arguably as much skill as fourth line guys and are maybe either just younger or haven't gotten the chance yet or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, I, I think the league has changed for the better, you know, the parity between lines, the parity between D pairs, certainly the parity between teams uh, is as, as small as it's ever been. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I think it's me for me personally, right? Like, constantly trying to get faster every summer, get faster, skate better. Mm -hmm. And I think just trying to be smarter and put myself in good spots is, is pretty beneficial as well. I, I always like to, I always like to ask this, where, where are your Stanley cup rings? Where, where are they? What do you do with them? What do you like? I, I want to know. I, I, I want to know what happens to those things. Are you wearing them currently? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not wearing them currently. <laughs> See, that would be better if, if you were, but that's okay that you're not. Just walk Imagine. around big dog and everybody check yeah. out my rings. <laughs> oh, oh, these things. <laughs> um, no, you know what? They're, they're, they're in the safe. They're locked away. Uh, so it's, there's, I, I don't think I've ever, actually, you know what? That's why I've worn them one time. I yeah. wore them one time. I did a promotional uh, like event thing for, for Brightling and uh, they asked me to wear them. So I wore them um otherwise i haven't worn them there's i mean they're like ungodly big where the fact like not even comfortable to wear it's like it's a hazard to wear them you're not um, eating french onion soup wearing those things no no chance you can maybe eat french onion soup out of them but yeah. um, um but no no they're I don't, I don't wear them i don't wear them much okay so scott we got we got to talk about this and any and i think you're going to get a smile when i ask you about it but if anybody had played for the peoria rivermen uh, late in the tenure of that American Hockey League franchise. Uh, you know what I'm talking about in a second here. And Scott, you just talked to Derek Nesbitt, who was our teammate with the Riverman. And Nesby's got some great stories surrounding this. But uh, Colsey, we need your impressions of the time machine. If you can fill everybody in on what I'm talking about and maybe a, a favorite memory of that rolling death trap we used to travel down the highway in. Um, yeah, so so what so what Mike's referring to is is our our not only RV bus, I don't know what you want to call it. It's like this weird, like mashup of a bus slash RV slash rolling death trap. And um, I mean, it's got bunks, three tiers of bunks all the way back, but like no windows, like one door. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't remember who the bus driver was, but he was Bronco Brad. <laughs> very, okay. Yep. That's it. Uh, very uh, heavy on the brakes. So if you put your head down at the front end and you would punch the brakes, I mean, your, your head's smashing off the wall. So you need to flip around, have the feet there to kind of shock, absorb some of that shock when you hit the brakes. Um, but yeah, man, it was, it was wild. I mean, it, and it like, it was gross. Like, I guess they technically they wash the sheets in the bunks, but like you like stuck to them. Like they'd be like sour patch kids just like melted in the sheets. It was gross. And, uh, I am very, there was, there was high incentive to not, to not be there, <laughs> not be there very long. I'll tell you what, Bronco, Bronco drove that thing the wrong way down the railroad tracks in Toronto. 
<laughs> I'll never forget it because the thing had a trailer on the back and a big 18 wheeler front on it. And he's, we're going the wrong way. And he's like trying to back up with a trailer on the trolley tracks in Toronto. And this thing was the least maneuverable vehicle ever. Like we, we would almost bottom out going back into the building and in, in Peoria every trip. And I mean, have you, every single player, man, had a story about this thing. Like, I'm, I'm glad I'm done with that because that era of my life, I don't need again. It scared the hell out of me. I, I can't believe that more people like honestly didn't die in that thing. Like it was, it was insane. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll let you go in a minute here. I, I'm just, I want to ask one more question and maybe Mike has one more too before we let you go. But I, I was just curious because you're just fresh off a trip to Philadelphia where you showed up and then turned around and came home without ever having played a game. And as Rod mentioned this morning, couldn't even practice because there was a basketball floor on the rink. So I wonder, it, it, like to me, you it strikes me is that you are very much a, you know, one day at a time, let's, let's not sweat the small stuff. But I wonder how important it is in this current landscape or environment in the NHL to, re- to really have that kind of mindset that, that you can't get you just can't get bent out of shape about stuff, even though it may piss you off and it may not make any sense and you just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I wonder what's it been like for you and, and how important is having the correct attitude about it to, to maybe having success? Uh, well, I'm actually glad that you said that last part because I was about to go off about how ridiculous that was. So, <laughs> you can't get right. away from it. I appreciate that. Um, I mean, yes, you're, you're right. Having a, you know, not sweating the small stuff and just kind of being able to roll with the punches is, is important. I mean, it's like I said earlier, you know, we don't know when the season's going to end. You know, this could go into August. Like we just don't know with the postponements. We don't know with Canada being, you know, doing Canadian things. Like we just don't know. Yeah. So it's tough to say, it's really tough to say, but yes, you're right. That is definitely a good mindset to have. However, <laughs> this, this is this really thing was wild to me. I mean, they <laughs> game got postponed. They had a full practice with a full lineup plus an extra forward the day of our game. They weren't missing bodies. Like two weeks before that, we played a game with 10 forwards. And when, and Nets just got hurt in like the five minutes and we had nine forwards and we still won. Like, and then I, I text Van Reams like, I'm like, what are we doing here? He's like, we got eight guys in protocol. I'm like, no, you don't you have three and five guys that are hurt. I don't know. It's just like wild to me. Like it seems very strange, but Hey, you know what? We're just gonna, we're just gonna put our heads down to one hockey game. It's like, well, good thing you're not in media and our heads are just spinning, trying to figure this out. Like you guys as well. <laughs> you don't even know what to talk about some days when this happens, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's wild. It was a wild. So I got one final one. We'll end on this. Uh, when are they opening the Ian Cole wing at Notre Dame? <laughs> is it going to be the library? Is it going to be a room at the rink? What's what's going to be named at you, after you on the campus? Uh, you know what? Actually, when I was younger, uh, probably right around 2012, um, you know, they built that new rink that they have in Notre Dame. It's beautiful. Uh, and they were like, yeah, you know, we saved a spot for a steam room. If you guys ever want to donate some money, put a steam room in. And I was like, yeah, you know, that might be a good idea. You know, like how much it costs. And they said like some ungodly number, like in the multiple <laughs> tens of thousands. And I was right. like, uh, no, maybe like maybe later. Still uh, on my yeah. entry level. And you're asking me for hundred K here, boys. Yeah. I don't know about this. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't circle back after that. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I do love going back. Uh, I do love, uh, I do love the university. It's great. Uh, maybe after, uh, 
disagreeing with Jeff Jackson today. Maybe he'll think differently. He might, might not talk to me anymore. I don't know. We'll see. He but, cut me uh, from the U.S. development team, so I got beef with him too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I don't have beef with them. I don't have beef Okay. With them. All right. You can have beef with them for us, <laughs> for both of us. Good stuff. All right. Ian Cole, that's been outstanding. It's always great to see you, and thanks for coming and hanging out with Mike and I. And It's great. It's good stuff. Yeah, but was uh, fun. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon, but uh, thanks for taking the time. And it's been a real, a real pleasure. Anytime, gentlemen, I'm available for you guys. Anything. Thanks, Colsey. That was, that was outstanding. And uh, I I never get tired of talking to Ian Cole and, you know, like you, Mike, I haven't known him as long as you have, obviously, but just always a treat. And, And I do, you know, I think he's going to be a really important part of that team not that he isn't already, but I think come playoff time and, you know, that East, man, there's a lot of good teams mm-hmm. in the East and whether it's Washington or the Rangers in the Metro or, you know, you think about it, you know, if you get to a conference final, in Florida, Tampa, Toronto, I just think Ian Cole is going to be so critical when that team hits a bump and when things go a bit sideways, I just think he's going to be so important in that room and the way he plays the game is built for the playoffs. I just think he's going to be a huge part of, of what may happen for that Canes team. Just listen to him talk. You know, you've got somebody who's really articulate, that's intelligent, that has the experience to back it up. And if you need somebody to, to ever diffuse a situation or smooth things over or just bring perspective into a locker room. He has everything. He's won the Stanley cups. He he played in the minors. He's been through different teams and different coaches and he went to college for three years. And like, you know, you're, you're checking a lot of boxes there for a very well-rounded individual. And that's just off the ice on the ice, Scott. I mean, he's versatile. I mean, he's put up 25 points in a season before as a D-man in the league. He's been he, – he can slot anywhere from your yeah. two to six. Take your pick. Like, he's he's exactly the type of defenseman you'd like to have in your lineup because he can do a little bit of everything as necessary, and he plays hard. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, let's uh, just about to close things out here, Mike. Mm-hmm. How about – I mean, this is a good segue because one of Ian Cole's former teammates – made his first appearance in NHL action this season of Genny Malkin coming back for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I know I did a radio hit in Pittsburgh before the a few hours before the first game. And there was a lot of, what do you think the expectations are? What will happen? I was like, I don't, I don't know. Dude hasn't played all year. He came off yeah. knee surgery, <laughs> eh, two goals, assists, game winner. Um, yeah. I guess he didn't miss a beat. And, and it, to me, you know, that Pittsburgh team, even they they have been, I think, a very pleasant surprise through the first half of this season, or as we get to the first half, and that's without Malkin. Now Malkin back in the lineup, it it, it gives them a different dynamic, obviously, mm-hmm. but it also raises some really interesting questions because he's a guy who's in his contract year, and along with another cornerstone of that Penguins team that has won three Stanley Cups during the uh, the Sidney Crosby era. Uh, Chris Letang on the back end, also in a contract year. Man, there's a, there are a lot of moving parts in Pittsburgh. And if Genny Malkin steps back into Evgeny Malkin mode right away, there's a lot of things that could be happening. Mm-hmm. Well, and here's the thing about Pittsburgh Penguins is that for a lot of this year, 
They were being carried by Tristan Jari. Yes. For and sure. he should be in the Vezident talk right now. Okay. I think there's about five goalies within that lexicon, I think, that should yes. be talked about for the Vezident right now. And Tristan Jari is one of them. Yeah. They have, they've had so many players out of the lineup. They've had all the COVID concerns, everything you can imagine. And they've continued. They, for a long time, they were just there. And now they are on the scene. Okay. Yep. Like they are playing so well. And as they get healthier, as Malcolm comes back, like he was coming off of complete knee reconstruction. And he said he was at 200% the other day, by the way, which you can't be that. You can only be at hundred percent. He was, he's at 200% though. Well, I guess if 200% means two goals and an assist, we're going to reevaluate what that means because he looked, <laughs> he looked really good. Yeah, and, um, you know, that team's power play has been okay this year, you know, kind of bottom third of the league, 17%. He comes back and has a power play goal first game. Yeah. Big shot. You know, he's the one-timer threat. I remember the first game I played, the first game I started in the NHL was against the Penguins. And I remember him bombing one-timers from my left side. And I think, and <laughs> feeling really good about myself because I saved it a couple of times. And then he scored twice on me in the last like five minutes to win the thing for the Penguins over us with Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, so Pittsburgh's just that much more dangerous. And down the road's down the road. You know, like, I think you're really going to see how much these guys want to be Penguins. Yep. I think that's what it's going to come down to, you know, are you going to take a sweetheart deal or are you going to go cash in again somewhere else? Yeah. I think completely without knowing Chris Letang or Evgeny Malkin, I don't know them. Pittsburgh is one of the organizations I was never paid by. That's less than half of the league. <laughs> um, I just get the sense that those two are going to find a way to stay penguins. That's yeah. just how I feel. And I don't know what that's going to take for GM Ron Hextall and, and Brian Burke to to mold that into the shape they need to stay under the salary cap and make it work for everybody. Yeah. I just have that gut feeling that those guys stay there. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. All right. Here, There's a guy there. We're going to close out talking about a guy who did stay, stayed mm-hmm. in one place the entire time. And now Nick Lidstrom returns in many ways. Well, the, in some ways, like uh, GM Steve Eiserman, Steve went to Tampa, helped build a winner there. Now, and then he came back. But I thought it was interesting that Nick Lidstrom moves into, oh, check my notes here. Ah, uh, yes, VP of Hockey Ops for the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, it just seems like, God, like just such a great fit. It just, and because Nick Lidstrom, not because he was one of the greatest defensemen of, of all time. I don't care of his era. I'm talking all time. Absolutely. One of the greatest of all time, but such a smart guy, cerebral. I just, it just feels like a good fit mm-hmm. right from the get-go. What well, do you think? Steve Eiserman's Steve not going to bring him in. They bring Nick Lidstrom in if it wasn't. Right. If he wasn't that respected, if he didn't think there was a value to having him on the staff. Mm. And what struck me as interesting about this is that Lidstrom is still going to be based in Sweden, largely. And so that's unique. And that's, but I think that that's a change in dynamic of today's NHL that management can be spread out. You don't have to be in one city at all times. And I mean, in some ways, I think that's a little bit encouraging, you know, because it is self-limiting to some people within hockey that they only want to live in a certain place, do certain things. Yeah. You can do them from different areas now. There's still value. There's Zoom. There's, you know, every game you can watch on TV, you can evaluate these things. I think it makes teams stronger when they're willing to bring in the super talented people that are still vested in the game, like Nick, Nick Lidstrom. Yeah. 
You know, if, and I think it's probably been a barrier to entry, probably didn't want to leave Sweden before. And he's like, Oh, I can't work for an NHL team. And Stevie Y calls him up and says, Hey, stay in Sweden, but you can work for us. We still value your opinion. Just watch the games. Now this is just me talking. I don't know if that's how that went down. Right. But I think that's a realistic option for people in the game now. And I think it's a way to get value again, out of people who are really smart, that really know the game that have just been hesitant to hop back in it because it hasn't been the right fit for them or their family or anybody. Yeah. So uh, I think that's cool. And I think it's a big boost for Detroit fans because they do have all these young players, the next generation to root for, but they still have the tie to those glory years. Yeah. You know, you've got Stevie Y as a GM, you've got Nick Lidstrom who everybody in the world respected more than anything. You know, you, you even have Chris Osgood doing color on the broadcast. You know what I mean? So like, I really like where hockey's headed in Detroit. Cause it seemed like it was lost for the last couple of years. Yeah. And that's a city that we need to have on the map, especially in the United States when it comes to hockey, Scott. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I, and I think, and you hit the nail on the head and that, you know, Steve Eiserman is not, I'm not saying he does not have sentiment or feel emotion, but he is not a sentimental guy. This is not a sentimental hiring. No, it, 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 that certainly that would be my impression from afar is that this is, as you say, this is a hiring this is a hire that makes this team better and it, mm-hmm. and it catapults them, you know, down the road to their evolution. And they're still like, they've had a nice seat. They're not going to make the playoffs this year, but I'll tell you next year, maybe next year, maybe the year. And mm-hmm. having a guy like Lidstrom who can share, you know, his insight and his thoughts and speak candidly and openly, because you know, that's what Steve Eiserman wants. I, I just think it's great. I, I, and I'm with you. I think I, I to me, I'll be interested you know, what will happen to Henrik and Daniel Sedin in Vancouver as they, you know, with Jim Rutherford there, it can, you know, how do they find that kind of footing or that kind of place in Vancouver? My good friend, Chris Stevenson in Ottawa tweeted sort of jokingly, geez, too bad we don't have somebody like that in Ottawa. Well, of course, Daniel Alfredson would have been a natural to do something similar in Ottawa. If they hadn't run him off twice already. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> Which I'm I don't know how you run off Daniel Alfredson twice. I don't know how that happens, but I'm with you. I think these are, I think these are important moments for a franchise because it's not just the link to the past, but it's somebody who understands the organization and understands the history. So it's credibility I'm, I'm too. Yeah. If you're if you're Moritz Sider and Nick Lidstrom gives you a call, oh, I think you pick up. <laughs> you, yes, yeah. Well, this has been fun, Scott. We had, I mean, great talk with Ian. Yeah, I, it's. Great. Great perspective. Somebody who understands the game can play it. Um, and somebody I could see doing really whatever he wants when he's done as well. Smart True. enough guy. So True. yet again, another fun episode, Scott. All right, man. I'm, I'm, I expect nothing less from you. So uh, we'll do it again next yeah, weekend. We will. Uh, and uh, well, you know what? We also, we got to say, we got to say thanks to our sponsors at DoorDash, Scott. My God. You they, know what? You know I'm what? so excited about having Ian on here. Yeah. Oh, yes. I tell you what, this week, I got, we got back from being at Lake of the Ozarks at an outdoor tournament, coaching eight U hockey with my daughter's team. It was beautiful. Everybody stayed on campus at the hotel, the cottages. It was all there. You didn't have to drive. So you can kind of imagine what the parents did the whole weekend, but the kids had so much fun. Well, we got back, but on that Sunday, we didn't know what to do. DoorDash to the rescue, huge pile of sushi for everybody. (laughs) We blew it out. We had a great time. DoorDash got it to our front door in 35 minutes and we went to bed early, woke up the next day, ready for school. So as always, 
That's DoorDash right. is bringing it for us. That's right. DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts, my friend. Restaurants and more delivered right to your door. Glad you uh, you saved me on the sponsorship end of things. That's what a good teammate does, though. Mike, you pick me up when I fall down. Oh, I'm going to do that in Vegas when you <laughs> fall down. <laughs> That's a joke. All, all right, right. All right. Well, Till next week, Scotty. Till next week, my friend. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.